Steve, happy Monday, man. How are you? Uh, really good. Yeah, did a did another ice fishing trip uh, over the weekend with kind of brought out my whole family actually, mom, dad, brother, brothers, uh, all the nieces and nephews, and yeah, we had a blast. So that's uh, good times. Fish pretty active. Uh, it was actually really slow. I think we only caught like five or six fish, but so you're just out there, you know, fire pit and kids are running around having snowball fights. You know, the fish is kind of a, um, a second part of it, you know? Right. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. It was a, it was a crappy weekend here and this time of year, I'm super busy with like, uh, kids and baseball and basketball and sports. I got out shooting a little bit. So that was kind of like my one saving grace of personal time, which was fun. Um, just to get out and ring some steel, but dude, I'm like, it's February now, just as of today. And I'm already like, is it spring yet? Is it summer yet? Like I'm so tired of being inside in these short days and all that. Yeah. How's your uh, Creedmoor shooting? Really good, man. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was shooting, um, this weekend. And, uh, out of my buddy's place, we have steel set up. Uh, I think the closest one's like 300 and then we have them like scattered out to 750. And, uh, when we got there the other day, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to send it and go for 750 and you know just kind of practicing like it's it's one thing to get out and check conditions and you know work your way into something but i was just curious to try and go as long as i could right away and went three for three on the first three shots so felt really good about that but um yeah man yeah the rifle drives i mean it's it's really light but being only a creedmoor uh you know, it's still shootable to me because it's, it's only eight pounds, like scoped and suppressed and everything like ready mm-hmm. to go. It's eight pounds. Um, I think the rifle, you know, bear is a little sub six. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it'd be different if it was some sort of big man magnum and you're trying to manhandle that thing at eight pounds, but being at Creedmoor, it, it's an easy shooter for sure. What velocity are you getting at, out of that short barrel? The hunting load I developed was with the 124 grain hammers, and mm-hmm. it gets right at 2,900, mm-hmm. um, sometimes just a few feet above or below or what have you. Uh, and then, like, the other day, what I was shooting for steel was, a, which one was that? It was a 140 grain burger, so obviously a little bit heavier out of the shorter barrel, but I still have those running, um, I'd have to look, 27-something, though. Um or right there to it. Like maybe it's 2685, but anyway, mm. I've, I've, it's one of those things where I've been having fun with that rifle. Cause I've been testing different bullets and loads and I don't have the info in front of me, but yeah, I mean, running those, uh, those hammers at 29 is it's, it's good medicine on deer sized game for sure. Yeah. I bet. So, cool. um, yeah, man, well, let's, uh, let's dive into a listener question. This was one that came through and it's not, it's not a single question. There's like this story that kind of goes with it. And honestly, there's a ton here to talk about. So let's, let's read it and see what we want to pull. Some of it's tactic related and things like that, but all about elk season. And uh, even though we're far away, man, I'm excited to get back and chase bulls. So let's get in that mindset. So this guy wrote in and said, this was my third elk season. And so far I've never seen an elk while hunting. My friends and I give it hell, but we are just struggling to figure it out. This year, it was just myself and one other buddy. We felt super confident that this was our year, but we didn't have any luck again this year. We did have one event that was exciting and is the source of my main question. So he then goes on to say, they hiked up a, uh, hiked up a ridge, kind of mid to late morning. The thermals were coming up, uh, up the ridge. They sit down to take a break, make a game plan for the afternoon. 
uh, and grab a snack. When he sits down, you know, they're kind of resting, what have you, he hears a bugle. He said, at first I thought it was my buddy just messing with me, but then we figured out it really was a bull, and then there was a second bull that also fired off. So the, the original bull, he said, was a good ways off on our next ridge over, and the second bull that responded to the first bull was closer and just below them a bit. He said, maybe sounded like, quote-unquote, halfway down, I'm not sure how that lays out and how far that was, but below them. So he says their blood was pumping. We decided to try a bugle ourselves and see if we could get a response. And then he says, I think that's where we messed up. He said, my buddy bugled and got a response from the first bull, the one that was further away, but the second bull completely shut up and we never heard any more from him. We tried a few cow calls and again, nothing. Over the next bit of time, that more distant bull sounded off once or twice more without us calling. We weren't sure what we should do, but I remembered people talking about being aggressive. I felt confident that neither of us really knew how to call, so our best bet was just to go to the elk instead of trying to get them to come to us. We took off up the mountain to try and get higher in elevation and circle around to that more distant bull. They never did catch up with him. They said they hunted in the area the rest of the day and ended up going back to camp at dark that night, never encountering either of those bulls again. So he said this was by far the hardest the hardest they've hunted out of all the seasons. Uh, his partner's getting close to giving up, but this guy writing in says he's really excited to get back out for round four in this coming year and make something happen. So then he said, any advice or direction for reading or listening um, yeah, for reading or listening to get advice would be much appreciated. I love the podcast and probably listen to 85% of them. Honestly, it's really your podcast that got me and my buddies started down this path. We never believed a DIY hunt was even legal until listening, and it changed our whole approach and pushed us to even try it. Even with three years of tag soup, we have some great memories and stories from our adventures. So, Long read there, Steve, a lot to pull in there. But number one, I think part of the reason I really wanted to cover this was uh, it's. Co- I think there's a lot of common things in here to discuss or, you know, common decisions that elk hunters face, especially newer elk hunters. Um, and then part of me just like not only feels for this guy, but knows that there's quite a few guys in his situation where maybe they've been getting after it for two or three years or what have you, and they're just kind of struggling to find success or have encounters or what have you. So kind of wide open ended, man. I mean, he asked that one question, I guess, let's start there, Steve. So yeah, I was going to start at the very, his very first sentence. This is my third season hunting elk. And so far I have never seen an elk while hunting. Um, you know, obviously you're going to have a learning curve, but to me, that's a huge indicator that, um, they probably, I don't know if, you know, I, I wish there was some more details on where they were hunting, what state and is this, did they go to the same spot three years in a row? Um, but if, if you've hunted three years and not seen an elk and uh, duration, I guess is another you know point, but I'm right. assuming, you know, they're, they're Midwest East coast. So they're at least coming out here for a week. Uh, so if you spend one week in a spot and you don't just at least see some elk, you really, um, you know, after, even if I was, you know, trying to put myself in the mindset of being completely brand new to a place if I went in there and by day three, I hadn't seen an elk, I hadn't heard a bugle, I'm not seeing a lot of fresh sign, um, very fresh sign, right? Like, you know, stepping in the poop and it's squishing underneath your feet, not not old, dried up. Old poop. rubs or something. Um, yeah, very fresh rubs. 
where the, the, the limbs laying on the ground are still nice and green, um, stuff like that, then I'm, then you need to be immediately get out of there and go to plan B. Um, like there should be elk in the area. Sometimes it takes, that's, that's why I say day three, because sometimes it takes a couple days to find where the elk are living. You could kind of be in their neighborhood per se, but not be like in their backyard. Um, you know, find what routes they're traveling and you'll find the sign and then bedding areas you'll see, you know, grass laid down. So that first sentence just kind of, you know, really piques my, like, you know, something majorly is, is going wrong here. Um, either they're just, they are seeing a lot of fresh sign, but they're just, the wind is always at their back and they're making a lot of noise that isn't kind of natural wood noise. Um, maybe they're talking too loud, um, things like that. Um, so yeah, that again, jumping, like that's a big one to me of mm-hmm. probably need to find a new place to hunt and it could be a whole new unit, could be a new state, but that that's just not good odds. Uh, if you're just not, you know, you should be bumping into elk. You should, you should at the very least, if you're hunting smart with the wind in your face, um, see an elk ass running away from you, you know, over the course of a day. Uh, if you're not doing that, then, then you need to find a new spot. Yeah. And it, uh, there's always to me a balance of like sticking with an area to learn it, learn how the elk use it, learn how they respond to pressure, but you can't learn any of that if the elk aren't there. Yeah. So there's a difference between hunting in an area a couple years, two, three years and encountering elk, but maybe making mistakes and not filling a tag, but you're learning, you're learning where the elk are, how to approach, you're making your own mistakes in terms of, you know, calling setups, calling sequences, approaches, whatever. Like that's one situation where you could hunt in an area for three years and keep coming back to it and learn it. But as you said, Steve, if you're just flat out not encountering elk, seeing elk, you're not learning anything about the area other than this is really hard to hunt here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've, I, I guess through experience, there's just areas the elk live and areas they don't live. And in some places they, it could be two miles apart, a mile apart. Um, and, and sometimes you'll see sign like they, it looks like elk have been there, but it's old, right? It's a month old or something like that. So it was something that they were doing more in the summer. And by the time you're there in September, they've moved a mile or two away. Um, so you really got to be look, looking for that fresh sign to kind of keep you there. And then the fact that he says year three, and I haven't heard a bugle yet. Um, that's his first bugle. That's another, like, that's a good indicator. Just that there's not elk there. If he's hunting, you know, middle of September, uh, you know, maybe or first week of September, if that's the week they've been going out, you know, yeah, maybe there's elk there and you're not hearing a bugle. Um, but most likely if it's middle of the month or later, you're going to hear bugles um, either, you know, uh, if there's no hunters there and you're not hearing other hunters bugle, that's probably also a good indicator that there's no elk there. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. With hunting pressure typically comes um, elk are in the area. Uh, you kind of want to find that balance of where the elk go once they get a bunch of pressure. But if no one else is hunting there, um, yeah, find a new spot. Yeah, good stuff. Um, let's dive into that calling situation that he found himself in. Um, I, I personally had to laugh at this one because – my buddy and I, Jared, have always joked, like, anytime we we take a late morning break for a snack, that's like a trigger for elk to bugle. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to us. <laughs> Get um, out of their beds, man. Yeah. So, yeah, it's mid to late morning. Um, he says they're up on a ridge. Uh, he had mentioned prior that they kind of, like, bushwhacked up, up this ridge. The thermals are rising. They sit down, kind of take a break, and he hears 
at first a bugle kind of distant, like on another ridge, uh, and then a response to that bugle is another bull below them. Um, so he has two bulls bugling on their own. Um, obviously this is a kind of like a first encounter for him. So he's super excited, uh, gets the blood pumping. And so they decide, Hey, they're bugling. Let's bugle too. Like, let's get in on the action. And he says, I think this is where this is him saying, I think this is where we messed up. Do you agree with that statement, Steve? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, that uh, the second bugle that was down below him could have been a hunter. And then, um, you know, they probably overanalyzed this scenario to where it could have just been a hunter. The hunter heard them bugle. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, there's hunters above me. But I know that bull's, you know, I'm, I'm in between those hunters and the bull. So he went after that bull and, and killed him or pushed him off. And by the time those guys got there, you know, they thought the oak just left. That's probably a very likely scenario. Um, you know, yeah, I, I guess... For me, if I'm if I'm out hunting, I'm in that scenario. I just sit down. A bull bugles. If both of your hunting partners can agree on where it came from, um, then I would uh, basically just go straight at it. Uh, if you're not good at calling, I would definitely. Um, it, I said if you have like yeah, it was on that ridge, you know, somewhere up in that tree patch or something. And if you can't visually see where you think it was from, then I'd pull out onyx or whatever and try to get a waypoint on the map try to just think figure out where that is put a waypoint on the map and then i would get uh, the next thing i do is assess the wind okay it's midday thermals are coming up i would get on that bull's level and just a little bit higher and i would side hill straight at it once i cut the distance you know i, I don't know what a distant ridge to him is right some some that could be a mile it could be 500 yards um once i cut that distance um you know, I would get as far as I could go, I guess, feeling that I was still like, uh, not going to risk blowing the elk out. And then I would probably let out a cow call. Um, I think a, if you're not good at bugling, you, you can do a lot. Um, you can do damage by throwing out a bad bugle, right? An elk's going, Oh, that doesn't sound right. And they, they take their cows and leave cow calling is a lot easier to sound halfway decent. Um, and I would, so I'd cut that distance and then I just do some soft cow calls and see if you could get that bull to chime back off. Uh, and then from there, then I, then that's when it's like, do I sit back and wait? Oh, you're kind of reading the bull. How, how aggressive is he sounding? Is it just kind of a weak bugle? Does he sound like he's bedded? And you could, again, it, the, one of the hardest parts when you're out there calling an elk is determining exactly where they are. I mean, we, <laughs> you and I, like just on your bull that you killed in October that he bugled below us. And it sounded two, three hundred yards down the uh, down the canyon, um, but he was right there below us at a hundred yards. Um, so sometimes it's really tough to read the terrain and the terrain and the way the elk is facing when he bugles really can kind of play tricks on you. Um, but yeah, I would I would just depending on how aggressive the bull's sounding, what the terrain looks like, um, you know, if it looks like it's if you got some kind of hills and bumps in between you and where you heard the bugle, then, then, you know, I would get aggressive. I'd cover as much country as I can, um, where I have complete cover of, of the terrain is hiding me. And then I, you know, I'd get to that next little finger ridge. And if it looked good, um, don't ever, it, or as I don't ever, but at least be very aware that the second you make that sound, if the elk is close, you need to be 
have shooting lanes, right? So that's something that I'm constantly paying attention to as we're coming in on an elk is whenever you do stop and call, uh, don't stop in a place where you can't shoot your bow. You're just going to, you know, that's not going to work out for you. Uh, elk's going to stand there at 20 yards and you're going to be able to shoot. So um, sometimes it's a little tricky. You know, you're like, I, I really want to call right now, but I can't shoot. So I need to go up another 50 yards and you risk kind of pushing them. But, you know, again, if, if you stop and call from an area you can't shoot from, uh, it doesn't do you any good. Um, so, yeah, I would have just gone straight at that bull. Uh, again, cut the distance in half-ish, make some cow call sounds, try to relocate them and then just keep working in on them. And so I wouldn't get super aggressive until I felt like the bull was going away from us, right? Like that, the next bugle sounds like, oh man, he's gone further. So that's the time to like pick up your feet and start covering some country and just just start dogging them. Always pay attention to the wind. And then really once you're into elk, you um, super important to have your head on a swivel. Um, you know, you gotta like, it's a fine line of covering country but at the same time there's going to be a spike running around or an extra cow kind of lagging behind the herd and that's going to you know that's probably blown a lot of opportunities for guys over the years you know obviously it's happened to me a lot where you just you're so focused on where that last bugle was that you stop paying attention to your surroundings and there's an elk standing there at 40 yards looking at you yeah um, heck that that just happened to me in september <laughs> going after a bugle and two raglan bulls standing to the left of me so yeah uh, yeah, that's all to get in there. Um, yeah, I mean, the way I look at that situation, if I was sitting there and heard that distant bugle and even that one closer, um, yeah, my first instinct isn't to grab the bugle and like try and start making noise because they're already doing that. So whether, you know, you mentioned Steve, like maybe that one below them was a hunter, very well it could have been, whether it is or isn't, I want to let elk talk if they're talking. Um, and so if, if it's a situation where it's you exactly what you said, Steve, like if you can't pinpoint the direction and you don't know where to go, number one, I'd first be a little bit patient to see if they sound off. Um, if I truly just heard the one and I'm not sure on direction or can't pinpoint how to get there, maybe I'd be bugling to try and get a response again. But that would be to, again, locate them, pinpoint direction and move in as best as I could. Um, again, assessing wind and all that. The other thing is like, let's say, you know, that distant bugle fires off the one below him fires off. They don't do anything. They don't, maybe they don't even hear the one below them again, but that distant one is like still bugling. You know, the, you got multiple options there. You might like try to work down towards where you heard the bull just below you, even though he's not talking again, like maybe, you know, even in response to breaking a stick moving down there or something, maybe you catch him, maybe not. You can maybe hang out and spend a little bit of time trying to get after him or see if he fires up. But especially since they mentioned, they didn't say an exact time, but like late morning, that other bull on that distant ridge being the time of day, he's he's probably not moving like for hours. I mean, maybe he's like getting up, checking cows or whatever, but he's not really leaving that country unless something's pushing him, most likely. And so even if you spend the next hour, call it, investigating, seeing if you can make something happen with bull below you, you still know, okay, well, we could hang here for an hour, see if anything happens, and then go over to where that bull was, even if he's quiet. Like if you knew his direction, you thought you knew about where he was, you could work your way over there. So maybe this whole encounter happened at 10.30 in the morning. And maybe you're not going to get over to that distant bull by like one o'clock. And maybe you haven't heard him fire off in 
that whole time or maybe he hasn't fired off in an hour but it to me it would still be worth especially since they haven't been in heavy action just getting over there like getting closer seeing if he's gonna have like some sort of bedded bugle later seeing if maybe you get over there and you spend some time you haven't uh, heard anything you can kind of get him fired up like you said with that cow call steve once you're closer um those are all things you know to consider it's just not i mean i've been there done that in terms of making mistakes where it's like elk are talking you either want to get in on the action because you're excited or you want to make them like keep talking so you start bugling but if those distances and things aren't quite right like you could just shut them down kind of like that experience you mentioned and some of that has to do with hunting pressure and all kinds of variables you just you always don't necessarily know um but just as a super high level i'd say cut the distance when you can if they're talking let them talk and really don't get in to bugling at them until you have to because you're close enough where you're trying to like force a true response or you just flat out need them to call again they're not talking on their own and you're trying to like get a direction to then cut that distance so um let's see i know there's some other stuff in here yeah i mean i would say like two um you know, getting away from tactics, like he said, this was the hardest they've hunted. It was obviously the third year, his hunting partner's getting close to giving up. This guy who wrote in said he's, you know, excited to get back for round four. Um, yeah, I mean, I would just say keep at it. Like it's, it's, it is one of those things where it's, it's frustrating when you're, when you've put in the time and the money and all that to, to go after elk but if it's something you truly want to do don't i mean you already put in this much don't give up now and take into heart like what we maybe said about changing areas look at new spots come up with new plans for country to hunt maybe come up with a different way to hunt like whether that's these guys have never backpacked in they've always hunted from a a truck camp or maybe they have backpacked in but it's always been like a base camp thing where they're just kind of hunting from that same spot for five or seven days like prepared to both be mobile as well as get in there so i would say make a new plan pick a new area um and keep after it and you know don't feel like you give up and then sort of worth highlighting too like it 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 always comes down to what defines success for you and he even said it like even in three years of tag soup they have great memories and stories from their adventures and so keep in mind as frustrating as it may be that you haven't killed an elk yet or haven't had those experiences, like keep in mind all the positive you have taken away from the trips. Cause I know that's there. Yeah. My, um, I don't know their, you know, backpacking experience and or physical fitness level, but I don't think there is a better way, um, to find elk than just getting mobile. Um, you know, drop a truck at point a and point B and hike like through hike something pick, you know, um, like a 10 mile just through hike of some country that looks elky. Um, and then, you know, maybe the, I, the ideal scenario is there's like a road down below you two miles that you get anytime you kill something, you can just pack it straight out down to the road. Um, you gotta keep, you know, you don't want to be eight miles back there and, and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a long way to pack something out, especially if it's your first elk, but I would just get mobile, um, and get, get in shape, get ready for it and, and just start covering country. And, and you can do that through, um, you know, backpacking with everything on your back every day. And you can also do that with your vehicle. You could, you know, just bounce around and, and if you're willing to, um, 
you know, you end up probably hiking more miles from your vehicle um, over the course of a week because you're just every day going to be hiking back out in the dark, you know, the, the two, three miles that you covered. But um, that's another effective way to do it. Just start bouncing around until you find elk. Um, that, you know, it's probably the tops of the list here. If it's, you know, third season hasn't had an elk encounter yet, um, just flat out, you're just not in, in the right country. He just needs to get, get mobile and find it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I just noticed in there and I wanted to touch on is he, he said, I felt confident that neither of us really knew how to call. That's a problem. Um, and I'm not a great elk caller and Steve, I've heard you, you know, kind of complain of like, I need to spend more time with like Paul or Corey to fix my elk calling. I always think you sound great in the field. It's the, you need the, you need enough practice to develop your own confidence and Maybe you're not Corey Jacobson. Maybe you're not going to, you know, win any sort of contest or whatever. But I mean, there's, there's bad sounding elk out there that would never win a contest. Um, it's not necessarily about sounding perfect or knowing every type of call or any of that. But if you just flat out don't have confidence to call, that alone is going to be a problem. Like you just need to get that base level confidence. So maybe you, you know, need to spend more time just getting, getting reps in calling preseason. Maybe you need to like switch up your style of call. Maybe if you've tried like a certain diaphragm, it just doesn't work well for you. Maybe that's, you know, cause it's a triple read and you need a single read, or maybe it's cause that brand doesn't fit your mouth. Well, like don't be afraid to do what it takes to try different calls and just spend time at least getting confident where, when that scenario does happen and you do want to bugle that you're not afraid to do it because of how you're going to sound. Cool. Well, that did quite a bit there. So since we talked to Creedmoor before you asked me a question on Creedmoor, this was not planned, but we did have a question uh, in the bank from someone. He said, I was wondering if you guys have talked about hunting with a six side Creedmoor for elk, specifically with the hammer bullets and the performance that was achieved. I was leaning towards that combination and want to know how it worked for you guys. I believe it was Steve who had a hunt and was using that combination. So Steve, you did not shoot your elk with Creedmoor. It was a 6.5 PRC. You do have a Creedmoor. Uh, and at the time, you didn't have hammers loaded up yet. So you're using some some Barnes loads that you already had loaded for you. Um, so we, I think, maybe talked about potential of using the hammers on your elk with the 6.5, but that didn't happen. Um, two, like two resources I'd throw out there. We talked briefly, uh, Tyler Boschman and I about our experience with hammer bullets on game in Monday minute 89. And then in episode 243, we talked with Joseph von Benedict. Um, uh, this was like prior to our rifle elk hunt from this fall, kind of about, we called it getting a rifle ready. And one of the questions we had was, you know, kind of caliber cartridge choice and all that with Joseph. And he talked about, six fives on elk um both creedmoors prc and just you know kind of six five bullets in general and kind of their uh their limitations and capabilities on that so um i think the creedmoor it can obviously kill an elk it wouldn't be first choice by any means so like this guy's saying he's thinking about the combination of a six five creedmoor for elk specifically I would say it can be done. Um, a hammer bullet would be a great choice if you're going to use a Creedmoor um, or some other type of monolithic um, with a 6.5 would be a good choice for elk. Um, but if that's truly your goal, um, 
don't think it's the best choice. You can kill elk for sure. You know, obviously things like shot placement are always key. You have to keep in mind limited distances, limited angles, you know, try and keep it from the shoulder, that type of thing. Um, yeah, it can do it. It's not, not ideal for it, but any other thoughts there on, on that for you, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, I'd use the 127 grain barns, uh, out of my PRC, but that's, they're cruising at, uh, like 3150 feet per second. Um, and, uh, I had all the confidence in the world that any bull that stepped in front of me was going to die from that load. Um, you know, I definitely, I think you don't want to go hunt Creedmoor with, uh, a burger probably, right. That's, um, you know, hit heavy bone, that thing's just going to explode and not penetrate on you. Um, so bullet choice would be very critical. I like, we're talking about hammer bullets or the barns, um, you know, some like an AccuBond would probably be a great choice as well. Uh, ELDX would probably work great from Hornady. Um, but yeah, I think if anyone's going out and saying, you know, obviously I'm speaking from limited experience here, but, <laughs> uh, if you're just building a gun to hunt elk, um, I would, you know, I'd jump up a little bit bigger gun. Um, if, but if you want an all around gun, which is my, the first Creedmoor I built was like, okay, I'm, I think 80% of this is going to be used for deer and the occasional elk hunt. I think you're, it's perfectly adequate to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been kicking around, uh, uh, kind of like an article in my thoughts on why I chose Creedmoor over PRC. Um, and I know that that's like a contrarian position and I'm not all saying, Creedmoor is better than PRC. I, I think part of what is lost in a lot of conversations like that, and that's just an example, Creedmoor and PRC, you could say this about, you know, mini cartridges. What's lost in that is a lot of nuance um, in saying, well, you know, cartridge B is clearly better because it either goes faster, has a heavier bullet, has a higher BC, whatever, whatever, whatever. And that doesn't mean that it's right for you or for that situation. And so part of, in my mind of like, even when I, you know, built this creed more of, I considered PRC, well, clearly PRC is better, right? Cause, uh, it's newer, it's sexier, it's faster, <laughs> it hits harder, it goes longer. Why wouldn't you choose PRC? And in my mind, it was like, well, here's the reasons I didn't not to say our PRC is bad, but like, you know, there's a lot of nuance that gets lost in these conversations that, yeah. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll wrap that up. Maybe I'll throw that article out there. <laughs> I mean, for me. I, I shoot my Creedmoor better flat out, hands down. Like if I, if I felt like I needed to make a really tight shot at a long distance, I feel better with my Creedmoor. Um, the PRC, I just packing a little bit more energy, a little bit flatter shooting. So it's, that's why I took it on a sheep hunt. Um, you know, it's a lighter gun, but I was expecting, you know, might have to be making a 500 yard shot in a crosswind and, and the ballistics um, look a lot better when you're staring at the app. But at the end of the day, I, like I said, every time I got to the range, I'm always shooting better groups with the Creedmoor. And I, I think for me, I kind of, you know, same reason I shoot a low poundage bow. I just kind of, it's a more comfortable, um, I don't know, shooting platform that I just feel like I um, squeeze that trigger and I just have a lot more confidence in it. Don't know. I think, you know, I don't know if it's recoil related or, or what the difference is, but I definitely just shoot it better. So that's obviously a valid argument to um, go with Creedmoor. If, if you shoot it better than say a seven MM you have. So. All right, man. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a good one. We pulled out a lot there and unfortunately it just made me want to go hear bugling bulls anymore, but uh, oh, we'll man. get there. <laughs> uh, what's your, I guess the next hunt you'll have, Steve, is obviously the death hike and the wolf hunt after that, just chasing spring bear. Yeah, spring bear. Yeah, looking forward to getting back after it this year. We got uh, a big group hunt we're planning and hopefully get you out here for that one and I'm sure I'll do another couple backpack overnight hunts and yeah. 
getting getting the itch, man. Like you said, it's February, but we've had really warm weather here, so it feels like it's kind of Marchish. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, spring's coming any minute, right? But we could we could definitely still have another six weeks of cold, crappy weather. All right. Well, listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Um, feel free to shoot us an email with any questions to podcast at exomountgear.com, and uh, we'll consider those for a future Monday Minute episode. Um, and I, I actually realized this, Steve, looking at our podcast schedule, we were actually slated this week on the full episode on Wednesday to talk about uh, how bullets work, essentially. How they, like, how do bullets kill animals regardless of what bullet you're using let's take away bullet construction out of the equation let's talk about the systems the anatomy of bullets and how they kill elk and that's the conversation we're having this week on wednesday so if you haven't yet uh hit subscribe and you'll be sure to get that episode as well as other future episodes uh and again shoot us an email if you got any questions anything like that podcast at exomountgear.com we'll talk to you soon